Well, good morning, everybody. Morning. Uh, my name is James. I am one of the pastors here on staff, and we are embarking on a new journey uh, over the next four weeks called Jesus is King. Uh, but before we get in that, uh, who had a good Thanksgiving? Lots of turkey? Yeah. Woo! Lots to be thankful for this year. Uh, quick question. How many of you guys have all of your Christmas decorating done already? All right. Who had it done before Thanksgiving? Now, who, don't, who doesn't like those people? <laughs> See, I, I, I'm a weird person. I love listening to Christmas music uh, as soon as Halloween is over, but don't decorate until after Thanksgiving. Yeah, we're a rare breed. My mom raised us that way. I don't know why, but that's how we are. Uh, but as we enter into this Christmas season for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at um, these four names that Jesus has called in Isaiah 9, 6. So if you guys want to turn there uh, with me this morning, that's where we're going to be. Uh, because Jesus was given many titles and many names, uh, both in the New and the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, but these names in this verse have a special significance. So as we start this series, I want you guys to all stand and read this verse with me. Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. So this is the verse we're going to be in for the next four weeks, and I want us to think about those four names that Jesus is given right? These names of power, of authority, names of kingship, names that you would really never call someone today. Like when was the last time you called someone the Prince of Peace, right? People don't call each other those kind of names. If you grew up in my household, it was like dummy or dumbo, right? Or whatever else my mom didn't want us to call each other. And the other interesting thing about these names is that they were given to a person not even born yet. Right? The very first line of this verse is, for to us a child is born, meaning that this child was still to come. It's being promised to the readers by Isaiah, who was a prophet of his day, which means that he was being used by God to communicate to a group of people. Little did these people know that this was going to take 700 years for this baby to be born to them. See, we live in this New Testament time, which, which means we know who that baby was, right? We know it was Jesus. But I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of the people reading this for the very first time today. This prophecy uh, comes to us after what Isaiah says in chapter 7 when he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. So this was the first sign that Jesus was to come, that this baby who they didn't know was to come, that this baby was going to be born of a virgin, and that was the first sign, that this baby was going to be different from all the other babies. He was going to be king-like. He was going to be noble. He was going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And today, we know who that person was. We know that they were waiting for Jesus we all know that. But the people reading this for the very first time had no idea what was to be expected. Think about 700 years for a minute. 
It's a bit of a, of a waiting season, right? 700 years. Uh, the United States wasn't even around 700 years ago. That's 10 generations of people waiting for this baby to be born to them. Uh, re- realistically, can you think of your great, 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 great grandparents? Not a chance. Could anyone alive in your family even tell you who they were? Right? My family took a four-generation picture this year, and we were ecstatic. (laughs) We were like, that's something that's cool. Right? This is a huge period of waiting for these people that have been promised a Savior. But after 700 years, don't you think people started to doubt just a little bit? Right? They started to lose faith in what Isaiah was promising them. Like, we can hardly wait 10 seconds for our Netflix to load before we decide to watch something else. <laughs> or we get frustrated when we have to wait five minutes at the bank or get put on hold with the customer service people. For 700 years, these generations were waiting for a, from God for a savior. 700 years, these people were experiencing exile, famines, oppression. And don't you just love waiting in the first place? (laughs) Right? We love it. I love waiting in traffic. Love waiting in line at the BMV. And more than anything, I love waiting in lines at restaurants. That waiting area is just superb. You see all of the other people eating. You're hungry. Your wife's hangry. You see people getting seated while you have to wait. And there's something about waiting that just makes us a little bit worried as a society. It gives us uneasiness. It gives us a scarcity kind of mindset. Like we aren't going to make it to the bank before it closes because we're sitting in traffic or we're not going to get X, Y, and Z done and we're going to have to do it again tomorrow. It's going to mess up everything that we have going. It makes us worry. But have you actually been in a season of waiting? like for days or for weeks or for months. Because I want us to see that there's a stark difference between a waiting season and waiting for a table at a restaurant. Maybe in your waiting seasons, you're waiting for something serious. Like you're, you're waiting in the emergency room, right? There's this sense of urgency about that. You want that problem you're experiencing to be done with. You want to be better. Just like the people in the waiting room for the uh, emergency room, they had an urgency about themselves. The people hearing this verse for the first time, don't you think they had urgency too? They were promised a Savior, a mighty God, an everlasting Father. Don't you think they had a sense of urgency about that? (laughs) Or maybe you're in a season, uh, you're waiting to hear back from your doctor about a diagnosis. Or you're in the season of caring for your parents, and you're waiting for them to get better, hoping and praying that they get better. Or maybe you're waiting for the promotion at work, or maybe you're waiting for that raise because you know it would change everything about your family dynamic. That's a season of waiting. And in a season of waiting, it brings a lot more fear about than just sitting at a restaurant, much more anxiety. You play that what-if game in your head a lot more. 
A few years back, um, while I was in college, my mom was dealing with some melanoma cancer that was on her back and starting to spread uh, to other parts of her body. And my mom's a really, really private person and hardly ever let us know what was going on. As a single mom uh, with three kids, she didn't want us to ever have to worry about her. Um, but while I'm in college, she calls me up one day and she says, um, she says Boogie, because it's my childhood nickname. <laughs> Don't call me that. <laughs> <laughs> but she calls me and, and, and she says, the first words that she said were, I took out a life insurance policy on myself. You're the oldest kid and your name is on the will to take care of your brothers and sisters if anything happens to me. Right? <laughs> As an 18-year-old kid, you're kind of stunned. You're like, this isn't, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. That's not, that's not how it's supposed to be. And as a kid, you know, an 18-year-old kid, I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, yeah, you're, you're supposed to live till you're 65. Now I get 80 years old. <clears throat> But you're supposed to see me graduate. You're supposed to see me start a family, right? Those are all the things that start running through your mind. And thankfully, my mom ended up being fine other than a few surgeries. But that was a season of waiting. Waiting for test results for our family to find out. Waiting for surgeries to go well. Waiting for everything to be okay. And I'm thankful it did, but not everyone's season of waiting ends up like that. And again, right now, I find myself in another season of waiting. As a lot of you guys know, my wife, Tacey, and I are expecting a little boy and expecting very soon. <laughs> We're thrilled to have this little baby boy in, enter our house in the coming weeks, but it is a season of waiting <laughs> and preparing <laughs> 40 weeks doesn't seem like that long of a time until, you're, until you get pregnant and you're like, is this thing ever going to come? When? But there is absolutely nothing in this world like preparing a place for this little baby boy. It's such a different kind of waiting season. Like we know what's coming for the most part. We know around when. But there's still just so much built up into that baby coming. It brings about a lot of questions for us, like, where are we having this baby at? We're new out here. Are our family going to come out here? Are we ready? <laughs> Do we know what we're doing? How is this going to look for us coming to church, volunteering, hosting a small group? Basically, how is this little baby, who can do nothing on its own, change our routine in our life? Because it does. This little seven-pound baby is going to come into our life and completely take it over. Tacey and I will no longer have a say on if we are going to sleep through the night, right? The bathtub is going to be filled with baby toys very shortly. Our laundry is just going to be a mess of baby clothes. This season of waiting is going to change how our lives function. And see, that's the true mark of a waiting season, that your life is altered. You remember the feelings that you had while you were waiting, you remember the preparation for whatever was about to come. You're forever changed because of these seasons. And again, that's why I just love that Isaiah starts this verse uh, in, in Isaiah 9-6, for to us a child is born. Because right now, we're in the midst of that waiting season. I get this verse, I feel like, more now than ever waiting for this baby. Not that our baby is Jesus, but I understand the anticipation 
That feeling of being in awe and in love with someone who, who is here, but, he, but he's not here yet. You know, like I'm already so in love with him, but how much more am I going to be in love with him when I can finally hug him? And I can't imagine just for a second what these people waiting 700 years for a wonderful counselor to be here must have felt like for their savior to be born. All those questions of of when was he coming? Is he coming? All those times they felt like, I'm not being counseled right now. I don't even know who you are. Where are you? How is this baby going to counsel me? But we do that same thing even now, right? Whenever we're in a season of waiting, we ask, God, where are you? God, when is this going to be over? Right? We've all said that stuff. And it's okay to admit that we've said that stuff. And that's where we're going to be for the rest of this morning, looking at what it means for us to encounter the wonderful counselor. The first thing you have to do is create the space in your calendar. First thing you have to do is create the space in your calendar. Let me ask by a show of hands, how many of you said this phrase this week, I'm too busy? How about in the last month, right? You said, I'm busy, right? See, we're all busy. We all have things going on. We all have lives. We all have responsibilities, some more than others, but we have all been busy. Uh, Now, same thing, raise your hand if you feel like you've wasted any amount of time in the past week or the last month. Me too. (laughs) Because we are a nation of people that live and die by our calendars, right? By when we need to be somewhere, whose house we're having dinner at, our kids' sports schedules, our lives are ran by our calendars, but we are also a nation of people that loves to waste time, right? Binge watch Netflix, now Disney Plus, scrolling on our phones for hours, right? I'm just as guilty as everyone else. So how do we start to be proactive about creating this space in our calendars? Show of hands, uh, how many of you have ever created an event in your calendar called white space? Nobody. <laughs> where nothing was planned except for intentional rest or intentional time to be spent with Jesus. Right? The white space is scary for us. When we have absolutely nothing to do. Because we're a people that don't like to sit in our stuff. We don't like to think about our problems. That's why it always seems like we're busier when we're in a season of waiting. Because we don't like to think about our stuff. But when we do hit those seasons, doesn't it always feel like you kind of want to run away from Jesus a little bit? It seems like almost like the last thing that you want to do. But that's why I love that Isaiah uses this word counselor to describe who Jesus is. Because it means that you have to actually go to Jesus to get better. We can't just meet with him once in a while to start seeing our problems get better. We can't only rely on him in the hard seasons and not thank him when everything is going well. The thing about meeting with a counselor is that it has to have consistency. No matter what the season is, it has to be consistent. There has to be a rhythm in which you meet with Jesus. 
And there are all kinds of passages that talk about spending some time with Jesus. Uh, Psalm 119, 147 says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. Wait, and I wait for your words. Exodus 24, 4, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars and the 12 tribes of Israel. Genesis 28, 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Mark 1.35, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus, see, Jesus even got up, <laughs> left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. First Samuel 1.19, they rose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord. Do you get where I'm going with this? We have to create the space in our calendars to meet with Jesus every single day. And I get it. Some of us cannot wake up in the morning because of our work schedules or, you know, whatever. We're just not morning people. We would never get anything done. But that's not an excuse not to do it at night either. Okay? There's a reason reading the Bible and spending time with Jesus is called a discipline. Because you have to be disciplined to get yourself out of bed and read. To set that time apart. And let's be honest with ourselves. We're not really good at that whole self-motivation kind of mentality that the world tries to feed us, right? It's hard to drag ourselves out of our nice, cozy, warm beds in the morning and read. (laughs) And I want this uh, to be an encouragement and not something to be defeated by, but on average, did you know it takes 66 days to create a habit? 66 days before something becomes a part of your routine, that's almost two months before something comes, becomes a part of your normal life. And to me, this is all the more reason that we have to be in a community of believers that knows us well enough to ask if we're reading on a regular basis, to check in on us, to make sure that we are creating opportunities to meet with Jesus with other people. Because this routine is hard, right? I've struggled with it. I'm sure we've all struggled with it. But our friends are special people that get to speak into this when we give them permission to do so. To ask us if we're struggling to support us through that season, to challenge us to even start this routine in the first place. And especially to check in on us during those seasons of waiting. And each season will look different and weeks should look different. Each morning will look different and should look different and that's totally okay. See, I'm not saying that each day that you need to spend two hours uh, praying by yourself and reading, but each day you should be praying and reading. Do you see the difference? There are going to be days where opening up your Bible and reading three verses is all you can muster up and accomplish, and there are going to be days where you can just sit and sit and sit, and it's like you and God are having a conversation at your dining room table, and both of those situations are both okay. Because that's when true life actually takes place. When true counseling from Jesus starts to take place in our lives is when we build the consistency into our life to meet with Jesus regularly. We start to be aware of the world around us and where God is in our day-to-day life. 
See, the bottom line here is that we have to be seeking after a relationship with Jesus to even start to be counseled by him. The other thing we have to do is create the space in our heart. You have to open yourself up to growing as a person and softening your heart. And I think this is one of the hardest things for a a human to do because we are protective of our stuff. We might not like to think about it, but we are protective of what's going on in our lives, right? We don't like when things stretch us. People don't post pictures of them crying on Facebook. They usually post pictures of them smiling, right? We don't always like opening up about the things going on in our lives. It leaves us vulnerable. It makes us feel like we have less control of our lives. But that's the whole point of being a follower of Jesus. That's why in Matthew 10, 39, it says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake, we'll find it. The way we live our lives when we follow Jesus is completely backwards from what the world tells us to do. And the first step to losing your life for the sake of Jesus is to open up your heart to the awe and wonder of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Right? When Jesus died on that cross for us, that was something to be in awe of. It was absolutely wonderful. Different translations uh, here use the words um, incomprehensible, right? That's the original word here. And I think that word does so much more justice to the magnitude of who Jesus is and what he did for us, right? He's so hard to describe. That's why the Bible uses so many different names for him. Isaiah, right here in verse 9, or 9, 6, gave him four different names just in this one verse. We have a hard time putting to words someone laying down their lives for our sake. I think one of the biggest reasons for not encountering Jesus is because we close our heart to the wonder of who he is. We, for whatever reason, have become a little numb to feeling things. And I know Jesus is more than a feeling and he's more than emotions uh, and that's not how we should measure up our relationship with God. But when was the last time that your heart was truly moved by something? Right? When was the last time you wept for joy because you saw the faithfulness of God being played out in your own life? When was the last time that you were just so overwhelmed with what Jesus did for you on the cross? Because that's something to be in awe and wonder of. The first step to experiencing God and being moved by his spirit is to have a softened heart. And we cannot do that on our own, but it's the work of the spirit and Jesus in our daily lives that move our hearts to be open. God wants us to experience him to the fullest, to feel his love, to experience his goodness, to see him and his love in other people. And the only way to do that is if we create that space in our hearts and create the space in our calendars to be changed by him. And there are days that you will not feel like doing this. (laughs) Right? There are days that you want every ounce of sleep that you can get, every moment away from people that you can get, 
And there are going to be seasons when you feel like nothing is happening. But see, beneath the surface, there's something happening. When you build that consistency into your life with Jesus, you are laying the foundation for whatever season might be coming next. And here's the the trick to balancing all of this, the hard parts, the, the seasons where everything seems to be clicking. We can't have a softened heart if we aren't spending time with Jesus in the first place. That's why we have to create the time in our calendar before we can create the space in our hearts. We have to spend time with Jesus first. Uh, Plain and simple, some of you guys are saying yes to too much. Sometimes I say yes to too much. But if your reason for not spending time with God is that you're too busy, you need to learn how to say no to some things. You have to have that honest conversation with yourself, with your family, if you're making Jesus the priority of your household. If you want to be marked by a follower of Jesus, you have to be different. Spend time with him. Create the space. Be moved by him. Open his word. Talk to other believers. That's how we're changed. So we've cleared our calendars. We've opened up our hearts. We've kind of started to figure out these life rhythms a little bit. But what does it actually mean for us, right? Jesus being called Wonderful Counselor, what does it, what does it mean? Well, <laughs> it allows us to be counseled by the Wonderful Counselor. <laughs> because when we are open both in a physical sense and a mental sense, we actually see Jesus moving in our day-to-day life. When we actually take the time in our lives to be with Jesus, we see Jesus working. Because our mind is focused on him. That's why all of those verses earlier talked about awaking in the morning. Because it's the first thing we do, that's what we put our minds to. We focus on where God is working. And here's the deal, whether you realize it or not, you need counseling. Okay? We all do. That's why Jesus is called the Wonderful Counselor. Because we all need it. If you're not spending time with Jesus and your life seems to be falling apart, ask yourself, how am I letting Jesus into this situation? Did I pray about this? Or did I think about praying about this? See, we desperately need Jesus to be our Wonderful Counselor And those two words have to be put together, and I'm so glad Isaiah did. Because when we are counseled by Jesus, when we really experience the goodness, the incomprehensible power of Jesus and what he did on the cross for us, that's wonderful. That's something to be in awe of. See, in those seasons of waiting, when we need that wonderful counselor more than ever, and he is answering your prayers, how can you not be in awe of that? So let me ask you this today. Uh, Do you find yourself feeling lonely? Feeling like you're in that season of waiting. You feel the anxiety. You feel the worry about the unknowns. You feel like you need a way out. You feel like you need a counselor. You feel like you need someone to talk to. Because I've been there where your world is flipped upside down, where you're questioning absolutely everything. Asking if anyone even knows what you're going through, if anyone would even understand my situation. 
when you feel like everything is telling you not to run to Jesus, to keep everything bottled up, and not to seek counsel, that's when you need it more than ever. That's when we experience the true wonder of who Jesus is, is on the other side of that season. And that's why Isaiah called him the wonderful counselor, because even when nothing makes sense, Jesus is still there to show us his love, his comfort, to show us his goodness. So no matter what you're going through, no matter the outcome, no matter the season of waiting you might be in, God is always there meeting us right where we are, and that is something to be in awe of. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much that, that for what you did for us. Lord, that incomprehensible act of dying on the cross for our sake. Lord, that we get to encounter the wonderful counselor. God, that you give us a place to go when all hope seems to be lost. Lord, I pray for whoever is in that season, Lord, that they would run to you and they would be comforted by you. Lord, we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.